the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's Tuesday. We've got SEC on CBS lead reporter Jamie Erdahl will be joining us shortly. Uh, but first, Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson right here with you. And I, as we continue to to look ahead to that massive SEC on CBS doubleheader, once again, it's Auburn at Texas A&M, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then the SEC on CBS in primetime, 8 p.m. from Athens, Georgia, uh, Notre Dame at the Georgia Bulldogs. Be getting into a lot of that with Jamie later. But, but Barton, man, this is a... This is a really fun weekend across college football because as you survey the landscape, and we hinted at this a little bit when we were um, you know, re-ranking the Power Five conferences in Monday's show, please go download that if you missed that, is that this is like the, the beginning of real uh, head-to-head conference results that are going to carry incredible significance into October and November as these conference title races unfurl. I mean... The like the time to be slowly warming yourself up has passed. We got we got potential tiebreakers on the line. I'm I'm excited for the for uh, what we got in week four in college football. Oh, this week's awesome. There, you, you can kind of even go say there's some playoff eliminators out there this week. Uh, but just I mean, yeah, this is this is going to be a blast. I can't wait for this weekend. Uh, so let's uh, we're gonna spotlight a few of those games before we uh, get into our SEC on CBS deep dive here, and I, I want to start with Oklahoma State and Texas because in our Big Twelve discussion with the with the wild uh, standoff that is the Big Twelve conference race, nine game round robin schedule, no one gets to hide from anybody. Uh, this is probably one of those interesting spots where as the Cowboys go to Austin to face this Texas team, the Longhorns are feeling comfortable about starting to get a little bit healthier from where they were a couple weeks ago. And, you know, all of our positive thoughts about the Oklahoma State Cowboys, I guess I wanted to start the spotlight here with this conversation. Where do you put uh, your expectation level in terms of Oklahoma State being able to go on the road and get this win, and also in the context of setting, do you think that you would pick it differently if the game was in Stillwater? Uh, I would probably pick it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would certainly give Oklahoma State a better shot if it was in Stillwater, um, but that's no um, revelation. I, I think I, I still give them or give it a decent shot even at Texas. And I mean, I just think this is going to be fun to see what Texas can do. I mean, they, they've, yeah, they gave us some points against LSU's offense, which is 
awesome uh, as a uh, particularly as a pass game offense and and Oklahoma State's got that ability to stretch you as well but I, this is just a a Chuba Hubbard showcase here uh that Texas has got a I, I'm almost I feel like Texas is going to be able to score plenty of points uh and can they step up and be a defense that can get some stops but this is you know we talked about it in the uh, over the weekend, I mean, this is what makes the, the the Big 12 so fun is this is the first of a bunch of games that you just can't overlook if you're Texas. I'm going Oklahoma State with even more confidence knowing that it's on the road in prime time. That's just really? – Yeah, that's just prime Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State kind of moment where they are going to be walking into DKR. The game is – uh, it's, it'll be 6.30 local time, 7.30 Eastern time. It's the ABC game, so it's got that sort of national, uh, that sort of big picture vibe. And so while all of us are going to be dialed in to the twists and turns of uh, of Notre Dame and Georgia, I just think that on your second screen right there, you're going to be like, oh, oh, wow. It's uh, it's it's not just like a, a close shootout game. Like Oklahoma State's jumped all over Texas. It's 21-7. to 7. I bet Mike Gundy has the perfect script for the first 15 plays and I bet that Oklahoma State scores two touchdowns in their first 15 plays yeah I mean that this is uh, this could be the most entertaining game of the weekend really yeah I mean, that that's what's exciting about this one is just from a pure viewership standpoint um it's there might not be one that's more fun than this with the big plays Oklahoma State can provide on offense and I mean, they had some play. You know, I think some some playmakers started to show up on defense a little bit for them, but I mean, ultimately, yeah. I mean, this is this is probably going to be Sam Ellinger putting up uh, a, a ton of deep balls and and trying to match what Oklahoma State's doing. And so, I, and and if you haven't seen Chuba Hubbard play, man, you better carve out some time, DVR this thing if you're watching Notre Dame, Georgia, or what have you. But that dude can flat out roll on pace for 2,000 rushing yards and 28 touchdowns, you know, if he were to maintain that pace. <laughs> I mean, he's got uh, – he's averaging like 175 yards rushing a game at like eight yards a pop. Unbelievable. Um, on Friday night, we're going to – and we might get a chance to dive – I'm sure we'll get a chance to dive into this a little bit more uh, as the week rolls on. We've got Utah going to L.A. to face USC – which is coming off the overtime loss to BYU. Uh, Utah, after dispatching with BYU in week one on the opening Thursday, has been just sort of taking care of business, uh, you know, putting together the most Utah team that Utah could ever Utah. So as as you're looking at the Utes going on the road uh, against a Trojans team following the upset, I guess my question for you is, do you believe uh, in your uh, Utah, in, in your Utah preseason Pac-12 South pick, do you believe that this will be like a, an affirming win for the Utes? Is there anything from this game that you think changes the national conversation? Because currently, if you believe the polls, the Utah, Utah is the best team in the Pac-12, or at least the highest ranked team in the Pac-12, I believe sitting there at number 11. Do you think that Utah can do anything in this game and come out of it feeling like or looking like a college football playoff contender? I think it's got to be just purely the schedule. I mean, just sort of the the compilation of wins for Utah. I don't, I don't know that I ever expect us to leave a game that Utah's in this year because of the teams they play, 
in part. I mean, maybe they could go. Do they they play Washington this year, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe if they go and blow out Washington, you know, then then we start to look at them differently. But I just think the way Utah wins is just it's it is aesthetically, it's I don't know it's ever going to quite make us. Uh, make up the hair stand up on her neck in the same way that I don't know Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Clemson do, and and so this is and this USC team is so hot and cold, and we don't know what we're supposed to think of them. I don't see this changing the national perception of Utah coming out of this game. I think it's a huge game for Utah, and I think that winning this is probably. M- I don't know, maybe more important even than whatever limited reaction we'll get following the game will be. Um, but, and I think also when you talk, look at what BYU has done since Utah, I mean, that, they beat BYU by what, 17 points or something? Yeah. And that's now all of a sudden BYU, who just beat USC, just beat Tennessee. Uh, we'll see what they do against Washington this weekend. But all of a sudden that win's starting to look pretty good. And, um, you know, maybe maybe Utah has quietly had one of the better resumes early early season, but I I still think USC is has tarnished its reputation enough that they probably won't get as much credit as they deserve if if they do beat USC this weekend. Talk me out of picking USC to win that game straight up. Oh, I'm not feeling. Uh, I mean, look, I, I guess no, I, I guess it could happen. I guess it happened. I mean, that's a Friday night. Uh, it's that they they sort of. Keaton Slovis has now seen uh, a little bit of a different look from BYU, and he's had to face it. And those, I mean, those guys, he's got playmakers. I just think that Utah defensive front, to me, is going to be the difference in making things uncomfortable for Keaton Slovis. So I'm not there, but I guess, I guess, as you say that, hey, man, that there's. There's no one USC is, is incapable of beating. Because BYU did that thing where they just dropped everybody into coverage every time, and they're like, all right, USC, beat us with your ground game. And they did all right moving the ball on the ground. I, they were not especially dominant, but I, I, feel like, I feel like Utah doesn't need to drop a whole bunch of defenders into coverage. Utah has... Uh, elite play and athleticism in the secondary, such that they can still they can still commit themselves to stopping the run almost as the the first thing, and then count on some of their defenders to make life difficult for USC's wide receivers. Because it's on brand, I will be picking USC straight up to win the upset. I will probably be taking them plus the four and a half as a lock. But uh, but now I, I just. I, I see Utah as a much tougher, much, much tougher matchup for BYU. I mean, then BYU. And it kind of feels like for Utah to lose that game, I would come out of that le- not impressed with USC. I would come of that come out of that disappointed with Utah for letting an opportunity slip away. I've never played quarterback before in anything meaningful. Um, but I'm going to try to relate Keaton Slovis to my my true freshman experience in college. And this might come off as a little bit of a humble brag and maybe it's me just shoehorning a good game in, but uh, if it is, then sorry. But what I, <laughs> so my true freshman year, all right, I was like the dime safety for the first couple games. And then our starter got, got injured. Um, Van Merrill ended up getting drafted, uh, played for the bears and the bucks for a few years. 
And so I came in and from like I think it was the third house? game of the year. Do what? Fan Merrill from Flip This House. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly who it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's now a real estate mogul. Yeah. Um, he so I I went in against Dartmouth, my third game, true freshman, and kind of didn't know what I didn't know, and 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 just was kind of keeping my head above water. And Dartmouth, hey, look at the first true freshman. Uh, we're gonna attack him, and I had like 13 tackles and interception, five past breakups and I was the Ivy League defensive player of the week Woo! the, the next week we're playing uh, Fordham and it was and I, I believe if I'm not mistaken it was a Dave Clausen coached Fordham team uh, small world I, we always find a way to get Dave Clausen in our pots <laughs> and I was like backpedaling out of the frame on the on the tape on Sunday morning like like just I kind of knew, like at that point, I was no longer just out there surviving. I sort of knew, knew like the the pitfalls and the dangers, and knew how I could get beat. And I just was, I kind of played a little more scared rather than just, you know, trusting my instincts. And so I almost feel like that's Keaton Slovis' second game was like, all right, first game is just let's roll. Hey, I've been playing football my whole life. Let's play. Second game against BYU, a little different look, forced to just kind of over like think it a little think through it a little bit more and maybe he didn't quite play as instinctive and perhaps in 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 your favor chip like game three now all right he settles back in which is kind of what happened with me you settle back in and you're now you're more like you've had your game where you're just sort of backpedal out of the screen and now you're you're back to okay. Let's 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 meet somewhere in the middle here. And so maybe this is going to be a, a bounce back game for Keaton Slovis. I I could certainly see that sort of um, that that sort of trajectory for him. Week three was an off week for both the Michigan Wolverines and the Wisconsin Badgers uh, ahead of a massive early season game in the Big Ten title hunt uh, over in Camp Randall. So. When you mentioned college football playoff potential elimination games, does it feel like that's what's on the line right here for the Wolverines and the Badgers? One team uh, sort of emerges as the the next in line, or at least a, a team with a, a big win or a, the lack of a loss that can keep it in the Big Ten title hunt, keep it in the college football playoff hunt? Yeah, I mean, this is, feels like it's just like Michigan's got to prove to us that they deserve our attention again. Um. I mean, and and I guess we found out of Wisconsin is is truly for real. I mean, Central Michigan and USF aren't much, but they did dominate them the way they're supposed to. Uh, but this is to me about Michigan and us determining whether or not we can continue to even you know care, continue to even care on a national level what Michigan is up to. Because if they lose Wisconsin, then it's just sort of all right. Michigan is a a good Big Ten team. That with could, great tradition, could, a good yeah. team with great <laughs> <right>. tradition, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. And so, that, it's, it, I think it's all about Michigan for this one. It's all about that offense, yeah. Wisconsin got a number one first place vote in the uh, the most recent polling of the CBS Sports 130. I think that's definitely put to the test here. Do you have a early feel on because I'm I believe Wisconsin wins that game, and I believe that we settle into a comfortable position of talking about Michigan like a good football team with great tradition. 
Which, yeah, which is what they should have been talking about all along this year. But that's a that's a different story. Uh, yeah, I, I my expectation. Is, I mean, how how can you trust Michigan? And and uh, look, we could be coming back here talking on Saturday late night after Michigan has won the game, and we could be sitting here saying, how how could we have ever counted Michigan out? Because right. hey, they 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 won forty one to seventeen or whatever against MTSU, and man, Army's Army. Almost beat Oklahoma playoff team last year. So, like, why did we? Why do we totally write them off? So, as a hedge, as a couching of this, like, yeah, I guess Michigan could just totally change our perception of them if they go off and win this thing, and and we start to totally recalibrate how we look at those first couple games. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll stick to my original guess until proven wrong. All right, coming up on the other side, SEC on CBS lead reporter Jamie Erdahl next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the Cover 3 podcast, Jamie Erdahl, lead reporter for the SEC on CBS. Uh, she will be roaming the sidelines. She will be presenting the pageantry and ta- holding our hand as we all grip to our seats uh, through what is just going to be a massive massive college football event with Notre Dame traveling to Athens to face Georgia. And so, uh, Jamie, I guess I'll, I'll start with, with this, you know, has, is this one of those games that, that brings out your friends that maybe aren't all that involved with <laughs> understanding how, uh, how difficult and demanding your job is where they just think you're going to be around or that you have extra tickets. Like, are you getting hit up for people that want to come be a part of this event in Athens? Yeah, I I was joking with Brad Nessler. He and I are uh, in a, the smallest of worlds, both Minnesota natives. And but 40 years ago, he moved to the Atlanta area. And man, is he getting hit up for tickets by his buddies. I myself stay up in the northern parts and live in Minnesota. And people who don't even watch a lot of college football up here have realized that I'm doing this game, and all of a sudden think, "Well, no, I'd love to come to one of your games sometime." Well, don't <laughs> pick this one, please, because. I got nothing for you, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, a brand like Notre Dame, they travel with a certain cachet that everyone kind of pays attention to, and all of a sudden we get to have have this game on our uh, primetime air, and and I'm so pumped. I don't think I've been a part of a bigger kind of regular season setup really any at any point in my career than this one. It's funny for me, like when I think back to the 2017 game. In, in South Bend and it, in retrospect that felt like a really big game but I just sort of look today and I think Georgia was ranked like 16th and Notre Dame was ranked maybe 24th or something going mm-hmm. into that game I mean th- this one as, as big as that game felt um, 
this one obviously takes on a whole different vibe with with two playoff contenders that have both been in the playoffs here recently. And I know you're still, Jamie, haven't you know, talked to all the players yet, and, are, and we'll be doing that this week. But just from your early impressions, you know, what is the the vibe and the tenor around this matchup, and 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 kind of the, I mean, the magnitude of it, I guess. Here are a couple of things that I've. I've observed now that I've kind of turned the page and looked ahead to this game. Um, there are a lot of really cool articles and stories coming out now about that game back in 2017. And so much of the narrative is driven by, for some reason, even though uh, Coach Kelly had been at Notre Dame for quite some time at that point, that, that was a bit of a resurgence for this program and, and maybe a, a new chapter for them in their recent successes. And for Kirby Smart, as he has now kind of revealed, that was really an establishing win for him on the road and, and an establishing career starter for Jake Fromm on the road. I remember I wasn't even on the SEC yet. I was still covering the NFL for CBS. And it, it's funny you say that about the way the teams were ranked and, and what that game was. I remember turning that game on and, and having about a 30-second confusion as to where this game was being played because, right. as we all remember, how many Georgia fans traveled up there to South Bend and and kind of shaking my head and saying, oh, oh, wow, this wow, this is a huge game. And it, it, was, <laughs> it did kind of sneak up on us back in 2017. This one has a completely different tenor. Uh, it has not snuck up on us. We Everyone has been looking forward to it. But it almost feels like a bookend to kind of bring that full circle. It, for both programs, that, that game in 2017 marked something for Notre Dame. It was a, a frustrating loss at home, and then the success they had after that. Georgia, it really kind of kicked their successes off over the last two years. And now we've come full circle. And for one of, for one of these teams, it's really going to put an exclamation point over the transformation these programs have had over the last two years. To, to follow on that, um... If, I mean, Notre Dame comes in this one uh, a 13-and-a-half-point underdog, I, I think is the last number I saw. And um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like this is, in a lot of ways, um, like people have kind of look at this as, man, Notre Dame needs to, to prove that they're a national title contender. Notre Dame needs to prove that they can play in this sort of a game. And, and I, you know, when you look at what Notre Dame – and it's sort of in light of what happened against Clemson. And here Notre Dame was and and – they had a closer game against Clemson than Alabama did or, or, or mm-hmm. close to it. And so do you think, I guess, as you prepare for this, that that's kind of a fair box to put Notre Dame in as they head into this game to, to sort of be needing to prove that they're of the same ilk as like the Georgia, Alabama, Clemson sort of tier? Well, that, that's kind of the argument behind, you know, for anyone that wants to ever knock Notre Dame football, you know, well, join a conference, you know, get, get real opponents year in and year out, which has just kind of become an obnoxious argument in my opinion. Um, but yes, uh, unfortunately every week people are going to look at Notre Dame uh, uh, and say, and doubt them and say, well, you know, and if they lose to somebody, well, of course it's Notre Dame football. I feel like that's kind of the, the what we've taken on with Notre Dame recently and their identity. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately for them, in mid-September, we're looking at a game that will prove their fate, I think, for January. But also, you know, you can flip it and say, fortunately for Notre Dame, you know, a game in mid-September will help them in, you know, their fate for January. So it's a cliche answer that I get from a lot of players and a lot of coaches when it comes to a game like this, which is it should be just another game, but 
the way Notre Dame handles its program and all the stigma that's wrapped around it, this game does kind of have a defining feel to it when it comes to their January destiny. But you go to Notre Dame for that reason. You know, you go to Georgia to play in the SEC and every week to have one of the toughest schedules as the season unfolds. But you go to Notre Dame to kind of prove that you are this national powerhouse that gets to stand alone, you know, for a reason. And yeah, mid-September, it's tough, but you know, they, they go to these schools for, for this exact reason. The SEC on CBS got a little bit of a later than usual start. You know, we didn't, didn't have that like opening weekend kickoff game. And so you got to spend uh, sort of the first, first couple weeks just taking in the entire scene of college football. So as you uh, started to fill out your own notebook for the SEC, you know, did you have, have you gotten your arms around what Georgia football is? Because I feel like Georgia football is really, really big and they're really, really strong mm-hmm. and they're really good and they don't make many mistakes, but we haven't seen a lot necessarily uh, the Bulldogs float to the top in, in some of these high profile games. So what have you observed so far uh, from the Bulldogs? I think uh, Kirby Smart has finally kind of carved out this beast of a, of a team that, that everyone has been patiently, maybe impatiently at times, waiting for him to do since he arrived in Athens. Um, he he put himself, you know, in his second season, he, he plays Notre Dame back in 2017. He, he put himself at a high-profile level early on uh, and started to prove himself, I think, from that win forward and now he's finally gotten to this point where there have been don't get me wrong heartbreaking losses in the sec championship but this feels like the team finally that has all of the pieces that could eventually as we look ahead to early december in atlanta uh could take down finally an alabama team um not because alabama is any weaker than they have been in the past only because i think kirby has gotten this team to a point where they should just kind of continue to grow as the buzzsaw that they are on both sides of the ball. I think Jake Fromm has set himself up beautifully in his time under center uh, to to be a quarterback that can go the entirety of the season and just create this offense and turn it into something that he as a juggernaut that that it needs to be in order to uh, face and beat Alabama. But they're they're a beast, and I think. You know, everyone can always argue the first two weeks of the season, you know, for Notre Dame's opponents too, but also Georgia. Oh, who do they really play and how is it really? But it doesn't matter. A win's a win. You're perfecting your your offense and your practices to get to a game like this in week three or week nine, whatever it is. And Georgia, I think, has has finally hit this pace where they have arrived, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it sort of validates Georgia in some ways in that the the conversation always is going to relate back to Alabama and comparing them to Alabama and can they get over the hump and beat Alabama um, and and become the you know that presence in the SEC mm-hmm. and and so I want I want to pick your brain a little bit from your experience with Bama South Carolina um, is is this Alabama team. Let me put it, put it this way. In, in preparing for that game and, and talking to people around the program, I, from from my perspective, look, there's a lot of true freshmen playing, particularly on the, in the front seven. They've had some injuries. Is mm-hmm. there – where's the confidence level in maybe that defense right now relative to what we're used to seeing in Alabama? Is is there some vulnerability there or less so than than 
maybe uh, you know the surface might show. From from what I observed, I think the vulnerabilities are built within the communication that is required on the back end of a defense because you have those two freshmen straight up the middle uh, within that Alabama defense. And, and you can't, you can't lose a senior presence the way you did within that team and not feel some kind of dip, not only with the skill level, but, but more so with, I think why Alabama's teams are so good year in and year out is Nick Saban gets really smart players. He gets guys that, that are, you know, instinctive football players that that can put, you know, pen to paper and also communicate really well amongst each other. Um, so I think what you get when you put two freshmen back there for him is they might be great skilled players and they might they're meant to be there obviously if they were recruited and committed to Alabama and and have run their way onto the field. But are, are you? Um, you know, the talker, the leader, the, the quarterback of the defense, as we like to say, usually for those middle linebackers that you need to be. I would think probably not. I would think that's maybe where their biggest vulnerability is. But that's something that you can improve upon as a freshman from week one, you know, up until the SEC championship or a national championship. You, you know, you can't I don't think you can develop maybe your skill set that well over within a season. But I do think you can improve your communication style and the way you talk within the defense. So I think if there's any vulnerability, it's that amongst the young players. But if that's their worst case or what the, the worst thing that they're dealing with, I think that's, something, that's, a, that's a little kink that can be worked out pretty easily as time goes on for this Alabama team. What about the depth of that group? I mean, they were on the field for 86 <laughs> plays against South Carolina. And forecasting that forward, you know, we saw what kind of game LSU and Texas got into. And we've seen that, yeah. you know, Joe Burrow has, has really committed and taken control of an up-tempo, no-huddle offense. The Is, is depth an additional uh, concern in, when you try to forecast out those top high-profile matchups that Alabama's going to have against some up-tempo, no-huddle teams later in the year? Well, a couple things. You know, we, we tout Georgia for being a team that has finally arrived. I could definitely make the same argument, I think, for LSU, particularly sure. LSU's offense. I mean, their defense has kind of always been there, in my opinion, but um, I do think LSU's offense has, has arrived. And I do think that's a, that's a game that Alabama – um, in terms of their playbook, you know, how much do they open things up until they get to that point for a lot of reasons, not only to expose to other teams what they have, but also as we're talking about depth and use on this Alabama team, how much do they want to put on this on these guys' plates up until, you know, a high-profile game like that. So I think, um, you know, in terms of depth, youth is, youth is money when it comes to legs and plays on the field. I think I wouldn't put it past Nick Saban not to have those guys prepared to play uh, through a game like that once they get to LSU. But you're right, they're, they're one injury away from, you know, maybe a guy, again, like we talk about the communication style or just inexperience being out there that you're all of a sudden, it's fine against maybe a South Carolina team. It's not going to be so fine against Joe Burrow, and, Joe Burrow and LSU. So are they playing with house money a little bit? Maybe. But again, Nick Saban hasn't showed us anything over the last couple of years. I wouldn't tell you that whoever the next guy is a step on the field, he wouldn't be fully prepared to at least keep the defense afloat if, if an injury would occur. Yeah. The, the uh, Gary always tries to make it seem like it's just another four or five star, but they are human <laughs> beings. They do need to be able to go out there and execute. Uh, which, what were your impressions on field, but then also just the, 
I thought that there was a great opportunity to really spotlight uh, Ryan Helinski and his family yeah. uh, with that. So what's um, what, what do you feel like you took away from, you know, getting to have those conversations and help tell that story? Well, it's, it's, um, it was a tremendously tragic event in this family's time uh, together and, and the way they have, come together not only and gotten over it is one remarkable thing, but what they have decided to do with it, I think is even more remarkable. I mean, I had a 30 minute conversation with his dad um, on Friday afternoon and, and just the openness in which he was willing to chat with me about what they're trying to accomplish. I think, I, I don't think I would be able to do that. Honestly, the strength, the emotional strength it takes for these parents to, talk about Tyler in such a, in such a positive and uh, light and, and remember him for all the right reasons. Um, it is really quite amazing. And Ryan to carry it one step further is an 18 year old at in college. I mean, we all, we were all there. We were all a freshman in college. At one point we weren't playing for an SEC team. We weren't starting a quarterback as a freshman and we weren't dealing with this again, this, this weight on him that you can only imagine is, is there every day when he wakes up and it's on his mind at all times and to handle himself the way he does um, as a person, as a player and as a teammate is uh, honestly a strength and that I really haven't come across a whole lot in my career. So it, he, I think it, it's an unbelievable family. Brian has a pretty incredible skill set as a quarterback. As, as I, as Gary said, I think going to break he said, you know, shooters can shoot no matter what. Well, Ryan Holinsky can throw the ball. And uh, he looked pretty good, but but more so than that, he that family is, is is really really strong, and I really commend them for what they're trying to accomplish. It, just in in covering Ryan a little bit in high school, he came across as a um, a really mature kid, and and has a lot of sort of intangible leadership ability, and obviously he showed a lot of physical ability against Alabama. But and ultimately in a loss, but there there seemed to be we talked about it with Chip. There there seemed to be a lot of optimism among South Carolina fans uh, mm-hmm. of what the offense could look like with Ryan Holinsky moving forward. What was your impression um, coming out of that game, out of that week? Um, maybe just in terms of sort of the team's confidence and and sort of what this team can be with him under center. Is it different? I guess is what I'm getting at. Um. I think, how do I phrase this? Did, did I come away by, from South Carolina's meetings thinking, wow, you know, they have their guy. That's their guy. Um, no, but I also think Will Muschamp was, is respecting Jake Bentley's process in coming back from this injury and whatever he decides to do. I don't think it would be fair to what Jake Bentley has been able to accomplish there for Will Muschamp just to say, all right, moving on, Ryan Holinsky. He's our guy for the future, I think, for a lot of reasons. Is that too much on Ryan? Is that, you know, unfair to Jake and, and the decision he's trying to make? Um, so I didn't really come away thinking that, you know, South Carolina has put the period at the end of the sentence, you know, moving forward with this guy. But it wasn't out of insult to what Ryan can accomplish. I think I think there is a confidence there. He has a confidence within himself to want to earn the trust of his teammates if South Carolina can keep recruiting wide receivers the way they have been able to the last couple of years, I, I, I would be hard pressed to find a better quarterback than Ryan Holinsky to 
usher those wide receivers into a pretty successful SEC career, in my opinion. And I think you think he's a, a quarterback built for a, a pretty tremendous passing game. So I think they'll be okay if he's their guy. But I didn't really come away with thinking, okay, now we've entered into the Ryan Holinsky era, if that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> sure, definitely. I I would not put South Carolina necessarily um, – you know, right, right there in the in the Georgia stratosphere. But as as you sort of forecast the the SEC East, you've got Felipe Franks getting knocked out at Florida, Tennessee, and all kinds of issues. I can't put my thumb on uh, Missouri. That we're certainly going to learn much more about the Tigers here in recent weeks. But you know, where where do you see within that division? Is there a threat to Georgia? Is is there a team that could rise up there and knock them off what appears to be uh, a, you know, an, a one seat in the top tier of the SEC East, which they are occupying? I I don't. I, I, I don't think that there is, especially with Felipe Franks going down for Florida. I mean, um, we were, Gary, Brad and I were talking about how much we were looking forward to the Florida-Georgia game this season. And, and not that losing Felipe Franks really um, – you know, taints our vision of that game a lot, but it, it, it changes the nature of it. Let's be honest. Um, and we'll see how their offense can unfold now in a new era as well. But uh, I really can't foresee a team really being able to jump up and, and unseat Georgia. What's going to be better is just watching whatever unfolds in the West. Um, but that's, that's for a different conversation, but the East, you know, because of the way the season has unfolded, you're right. I can't really figure Missouri out either, um, but I, I'm not sure sometimes Missouri can figure itself out until maybe halfway through the season. So um, I think Georgia's kind of got that that locked up, um, especially for when those impactful games, I think, come down the line, like that Florida-Georgia, the fact that it's not till November 2nd, uh, I think we're going to know a lot more about all of these teams by the time that comes around anyway. So uh, I think Georgia's, you know, I don't really see anybody coming up and nabbing them, nipping them in the butt, you know, at that one seat for the SEC East. It's September 17th. I will take it away from the current setting or from the setting, the scheduled setting, which will be Bryant-Denny Stadium. If I put Alabama mm-hmm. and LSU on a neutral field, who is Jamie taking? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Um. I've kind of, I've kind of had the Kool Aid. I'll go LSU. Yes. Oh wow, we got, we yeah. got two on the pod now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh, yeah, I gotta do so it. So, I mean, only, is, is the, yeah. <laughs> is that more of a? Is that is that is that more of a commentary on how good you think LSU is, or yes. uh, or have yeah, you, or 100%. is it, or is it some cracks in the facade? Okay. No, yeah, and, and, and just what I said about Georgia too. The fact that I think they could get to the SEC championship and beat Alabama has nothing to do with Alabama, and I'm probably going to hear about this when I get to Tuscaloosa next, but <laughs> it has more so to do with the fact that these other programs, you know, we talk about the floor and the ceiling and a lot across the Power Five conferences. I think the floor in the SEC is, is rising, especially amongst those teams that were right there on the cusp the last couple of years. I think LSU has emerged. We've seen it, yes. But I think they've emerged in more ways than we haven't even seen yet. And if, if the, the key there was putting them on a neutral site, you know, put right. them in Tuscaloosa, and I'm going to have to maybe rethink my answer. But you know, you put them at in Jerry World, and and I would I would take I think I would take LSU. I just see it being uh, that the the confidence that Joe Burrow has dictating an Mm -hmm. offense that does not huddle moves at a breakneck pace and has Mm -hmm. NFL wide receivers. I just, 
Um, I, I, sometimes this thing will happen, uh, to both Barton and I, and, and maybe to you too, Jamie, you show up to, to a, <laughs> to a program and, and you get walked around a building and you walk out of there and you're like, man, I tell you what, they're on the up, you know, like you see yep. a team with your own eyes. They, they're very impressive and, and you can't help it. Just seeing it in person, you're like, I, I am impacted by that in a unique way. We were in Austin and just the way that LSU's offense at a time when you would have thought that they would have traditionally gone conservative. We have a lead. Yeah. We need to run the ball. We need to bleed clock. They kept their they kept the pedal down and continued to score. I thought that was impressive, not only for their execution, but just the identity of what that team can be. I could not agree more, just with the feeling that you get from that team. Now, that being said, when you say a sentence like the NFL caliber wide receiver that LSU has, you cannot say that and not look at the other side and look at the group that Alabama sure. has right now because, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure Gary said it once again on the broadcast, but he, he had a hard time trying to think of a team in his, in his career that had four guys. I mean, teams have had three. You know, teams have had three running backs, four running backs, maybe a four wide receivers that Alabama has right now are unbelievable and talk about being around a group of guys that really change the way you look at them when you're in person when you're in person oh man so that group oh man i don't know i think i'm gonna have to stick with lsu but wow that's gonna be a game (laughs) yeah i mean we're we're only a few years removed from like the the point total for alabama lsu being like low 40s high 30s And, and we're going to have – Vegas is going to set that one at like 73 and a half or something when that one comes out. So it, it's, it's going totally. di- to be a big 12 feel. Um, I, I, before we get you out, I, I, I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on, on what we should expect to see this weekend in, in uh, Kyle Field with A&M Auburn. Um, you know, you, you've, you've been watching these teams, and both these teams have been tested early this season. Um, uh, the Kellen Mond versus Bo Nix uh, battle is – intriguing particularly given the Kellen Mond didn't light the world on fire against Clemson uh and mm-hmm. Bo Nix is is still very much I think an unknown in a lot of ways but what are you looking for in that game what what intrigues you about that matchup yeah I think w- what I need to continue to see is just what Bo Nix can do uh, Auburn is one of these teams that you know when we talk about getting around a program and getting a certain vibe from them they're they're a team that I've had a hard time reading you know in my two years so far in the SEC, um, I just I, I want to get a more confident vibe from Auburn, and and maybe Bo Nix is the answer. And I might have to get around them to to really understand them a little bit better. But and I really want to believe in this in this stature that that in his second year, Jimbo Fisher has got it figured out. And and I and again, I, I you know what? I'll, I'll kind of put the stamp on both of the teams like that. I, I just want to see more of a statement piece from both A&M and Auburn, and maybe they need to kind of eliminate each other in that respect in order for all of us um, to discover what they're really meant to do and what defines them within this 2019 season. But I just haven't come away with, you know, when we talk about LSU is a really good example. It feels like we finally see what they're meant to be like on offense. I just haven't discovered that yet, especially with Auburn. I only had A&M once last year. Uh, but to, to give them the eye test and really find out, oh, this, this is what makes this team up. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that something emerges positively, not just on the negative side, but positively from both of these teams to, to give us a feel for what we should expect from them at least the rest of the year. 
Auburn's got that putt putt offense. It's just nothing but gimmicks <laughs> and trying to trying to hit it through the clown's mouth. It's just a putt putt yep. offense. A lot of window dressing. <laughs> Don't get distracted. Gimmicky. Yeah, feel free. It feel is. free to use that one. Uh, that's that's for free on the broadcast. Yeah. No, I think I think in my meetings I'm gonna say so. Uh, so, coach, how do you feel about right. that putt putt offense? Yeah, yeah. Not two, my words. Two, two Gus, the putt putt yeah. offense. Uh, the what, putt putt offense. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Jamie, uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us. You're the absolute best. Safe travels and enjoy. We will be watching along as you uh, as you help present what should be one of the biggest games of the college football season. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.